friends, you're listening to Crickets to Cha-Chings, a show where we talk about all aspects of running a handmade business and marketing that business for success while still keeping a balance to have flexibility for your family. I'm your host, Lauren Keplinger, and I am so excited to get started. Let's jump right in. everybody and welcome back to another episode of Crickets to Cha-Chings. My name is Lauren and today on the podcast with us we have Lindsay Daniels from the Dandelion Bay on Etsy and I'm really excited to dive into this conversation with her. So welcome Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your backstory, kind of who you are, what you sell, what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I sell sterling silver jewelry on Etsy, I'm really marketed to kind of just everyday casual wear. I did start on Etsy back in 2013, which was kind of the dark ages. It was <laughs> not a household name. Nobody knew what Etsy was at that point. But as a creative type, you know, I was really drawn to the artist market. And it really just kind of started as something to keep my mom and I connected. After I got married and kind of moved away, my mom is threefold more incredibly creative and talented than I can ever wish to be. She picked up silversmithing and she was making these absolutely stunning, gorgeous pieces. And I wanted to try to sell them mainly because I kept stealing all of them and I felt bad. (laughs) So we did. We, We tried our hand at selling them on Etsy and it really didn't do that great. You know, I really had no idea what I was doing, but we had brainstormed some other products. We had a lot of different types of jewelry. We were getting some sales and that was excited for exciting for us, you know, for our first year or two. But things then really started to slow down, I was getting really frustrated, and I totally became burnt out on social media. You know, I really tried on Instagram and Facebook to get followers and to drive traffic, to convert to sales and One, I didn't enjoy it. I'd actually kind of hated it. And two, it honestly wasn't even working. So for the next few years, I kind of gave up. I just let our Etsy run its course, do its own thing. And so subsequently, it just kind of tanked. In 2016, it was the worst year that we had on Etsy. And at that time, my mom and I, we wanted to start a tradition between us that we would take yearly girls trips together because we both love to travel And that was kind of really a big turning point for me because I decided that I wanted Etsy to pay for that trip. I had a clear goal of what I wanted Etsy to do for me. So I kind of picked back up my efforts. I jumped onto an emerging Etsy trend of Herkimer diamonds, which are these like naturally faceted crystals. They're beautiful. They were all the rage. I was no exception. I was obsessed. (laughs) I found a really great supplier directly out of Herkimer, New York. My mom and I brainstormed some ideas and we listed them and we really started to kind of gain traction at this point. I always prioritize the quality of our products, making sure that, you know, the quality of the crystals and our metals and everything was good, as well as really focusing on customer service. I feel like that helped to bring in good reviews which set by our confidence. And it was at this time also that I was really clearly seeing what was working and what wasn't. 
as much as I had loved the chunky jewelry we were making, the big ornate pieces, it just really wasn't translating to sales. And really that year was kind of a learning experience. We exceeded our goal and I was able to 100% pay for that vacation. And that was really exciting. The success motivated me, which was kind of funny because it was very small success. By no means were we raking in the money. Um, We just continued to pay for our annual girls trip, which continually increased to more bougie locations and destinations (laughs) as we continued to be successful. And that's when I thought, goodness, maybe I can like legitimately stream this into, you know, some revenue. And I really niched down our product before I even knew what niching down was just naturally through trial and error got me to the products we sell now, which are absolutely not anything we even started with. I don't even sell the Herkimer pieces anymore. We just really shifted gears. And that's when things got exciting because I had a product that I was set with and improved my photography over the years, which I'm sure as you know, is not easy and always evolving. It takes a long time to kind of get that going. Definitely did not happen overnight, but I still felt like something was missing. And in 2019, I got a logo I was very excited about. A friend really saw my vision, helped translate that into a brand that went through my shop, into my packaging, really a cohesive, identifiable brand. And that's really what I felt. I kind of like had it together. My products were selling themselves. I really, even at that point, had minimal knowledge of SEO or running a business I was doing very little social media and it was 2019 that we hit five figure sales even before the quarter four, you know, holiday rush. So knowing that my success was directly connected with, you know, my effort, I went down the rabbit hole. I read everything, listened to everything, learning everything I could about Etsy because I had a business I believed in at this point. And, you know, encouragement from friends and family was very helpful, but I was lost in terms of how big can I make this and where should I be realistically setting my goals? And that's kind of when I found you. And to be completely honest, I, you know, stumbled across in my research, many Etsy success stories and blogs, And I know we didn't talk about any of this before. This is just me tooting your own horn. (laughs) I really appreciated so much how open and honest you were with your process and your success. Your story was very similar to mine and your success was really inspiring to me because you, like myself, were in a very saturated market. I mean, gosh, I feel like jewelry is the most saturated market on Etsy along with baby products. And I thought to myself, I'm like, goodness, like... You're not doing anything insanely different. You're a busy mom. And if you can pull out, you know, these six figure numbers with simply monogram baby blankets, then goodness, I could probably do the same. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I found a lot of inspiration to really just start hammering down. I spent the last year of 2019 and 2020 implementing everything I was learning. Started with your SEO checklist learning Etsy's quirks, fine-tuning my listings. And 2020 was the best year we've ever had on Etsy, despite the world completely shutting down and almost catching fire. (laughs) Well, no, I think it literally did catch fire at one point. But 
so this year, you know, I've had huge growth. I finished quarter one and two as of yesterday with almost a 200% year over year growth. Wow. Yeah. Which was really exciting. And I a hundred percent directly correlate that with improving my SEO just because all my other pieces were set. My ducks were in a row. I mean, it took me almost six years to get them in a row, but they were there. And I'm still kind of considering this year as a learning experience because I way overspent for my inventory this year. (laughs) Being a creative type, accounting and taxes are my mortal enemy. I just, I I can't do it. Figures and numbers. I'm, I'm still trying to learn how to pay myself and how to figure things out. But yeah, so my goal now is to hopefully be able to hit next year with replacing my current secular job. I do work a physical eight to five job. I do Etsy in my free time and, you know, when I'm able to, and I want to be able to replace that income and still put money into the business. So just kind of focusing on that big goal and using smaller stepping stone goals to, to get there. Yeah. Okay. So I want to hit on a few of these things because I agree with you that like listening to this story and listening to this whole path, there are so many pieces of that that I can relate to hugely. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, it's funny that you said like, this is the dark ages when no one knew what Etsy was. Like I can remember talking to people when I first opened my shop, like peers of mine who were in their mid twenties. So they should be you know, up to date on like the new thing at the time. Right. But I'd be like, you know, it's Etsy, like eBay, but like stuff that people make. <laughs> and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking yeah, about. They still didn't get it. <laughs> you know, so when people talk about, you know, now there are so many people that teach online and there's so many success stories and all of that stuff, but like that didn't exist eight or nine years ago. Exactly. There was no resources. No, there really wasn't. And so when I tell people like it took me, what, five or six years to hit six figures. And like, I don't think that that's necessarily the case anymore for people. I don't think it has to be the case for people. But like, there was like years of stumbling around having absolutely no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah. So, but I don't think that's all bad. You know, like you talked about in, in your story, like, there's so much growth that happens in terms of not only your business, but also like kind of the direction that you want to go in it as you're learning that I think it's almost impossible to start a shop and end up in that same place. Like it's a process that has to happen. Absolutely. There's not anything in my shop that I started with. Like I don't sell anything that I started with anymore. Mm hmm. Right. Because I mean, it's still individual basis of learning. And most people who are on Etsy, for the most part, I feel like are not business minded people. I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's some people that are like, hey, this is a great e-commerce platform. I'm going to jump on here and just move my inventory from my other successful you know, e-commerce shops. I think for a lot of us, it's a learning process of what works and what doesn't. And just, you know, being open to that learning process, being open to, Hey, this isn't working and that's okay. I'm going to change now. Right. And like you said, like being okay with 
getting into a trend, but then also allowing that to pass like they always do, like not freaking out when you're like, okay, this trend is over. (laughs) And also understanding like the business side of it, because that is a huge piece of it. And it's something that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. Like they don't go into it thinking about profit margins and the, you know, analyzing their numbers and stuff. And so it's sort of this process of of really figuring out where you're going to take the business moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I called this my extra fun money, my, and then that evolved to a side hustle and that evolved to my little business. And it's like, as of yesterday, I'm like, I really need to stop calling this a little business. And this is actual, this is a business I'm running. (laughs) Right. It's a big mental shift, I think. Yes. I mean, it literally took me into like, maybe two years ago before if people asked me what I did, I would say, like, I'm a stay at home mom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And like, I was running a six figure business in my (laughs) mind, like it just didn't, you know, it was like, well, I don't know, it's really flexible. Like, it doesn't really feel like a job. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So let's talk about your actual market. Because one of the things that really jumped out to me is I actually think the jewelry market might be more saturated than the baby market. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I agree with you that like there's nothing special about what I'm making. I think what you have is a little more special and a little more creative, but there are so many jewelry sellers on Etsy and a lot of them also have really beautiful, really creative things, but you have still been really successful with it. So what do you think allowed you to stand out in that market where you weren't doing like huge amounts of volume 10 years ago? And so you have that sales history or whatever, like this is relatively new in terms of, you know, the bulk of the sales that you've had. So what do you think was the difference? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, really, it wasn't until end of 2019 to last year. So we're talking like the last year, maybe two, that things have really taken off. And I attribute that to being in a saturated market, taking that almost out of my vocabulary. Because when you think of it, there's a gas station on every corner and everyone is buying gas and all of these gas stations are in business. It's a product people need. Now, people don't need jewelry, but I mean, there are thousands of jewelry brands, but people are still continuing to buy. And so really focusing on myself and doing my own thing and seeing what works for me. I don't really spend that much time looking at competition. If I do, it's really to kind of see what trends, you know, are emerging merging. And if anything, to give me motivation a lot, or I shouldn't say a lot. Last time I checked, which was about two or three months ago, the top five performing Etsy shops that sell jewelry are mainly earrings, which is what I sell mainly earrings. And to me, that's exciting because I'm like, hey, if they're kicking out all this business and all these five shops are selling essentially around the same thing, why can't I be shop number six? So their success is nothing but motivating and inspirational to me. I want to interrupt you really quick because I just really want to hammer this point home for people because the saturated market thing is something that I hear all the time, like every day, (laughs) at least once a day, every single day. And a lot of times people use that terminology 
like I never hear somebody say like my shop is so successful because I'm in a saturated market. <laughs> like it's always <laughs> it's always used as yeah. a negative and yeah. you know it's always used I mean it's kind of a harsh way of wording it but you know it's always used as kind of an excuse. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not having any sales because I'm in a saturated market. And just exactly like you said, if you see those other stores doing high volume business, it means there's a huge amount of demand for that product. And like their success isn't taking away from your success. And also, you know, when you look across how many people are shopping on Etsy and how many people are shopping for those products, like developing that mindset of abundance, like there are plenty of buyers and there is plenty of revenue to go around and somebody else having a lot of sales doesn't take away from me having a lot of sales. It's a really hard mindset to work toward, but it is transformative as a business owner. Absolutely. I agree. And that's when, you know, really focusing on yourself and your own brand. And that's what I think, you know, compounded to my success was just focusing on me, what I was doing, improving myself and focusing on the two things that I feel like set me apart, the quality of my product. I'm not selling, you know, cheap, flimsy base metal earrings. I'm selling quality, precious metal solid construction pieces that are going to essentially last you for years and years and years. So I really focus on that point and two, you know, customer service. Unfortunately, we live in a world where people are not nice to each other. And even just in my own experience, shopping either online or in person, customer service is just not something people are really nailing today. And so as much as it saddens me to say it, that me providing good customer service actually sets me apart from other people. So what does that mean to you? Like, how have you experienced that in your shop? Well, a few things is, you know, I hear a lot of people who are just starting, you know, so fearful of the one star review. And it's like, I would not have gotten to the point I was without that buyer feedback. Mm -hmm. If I got a one-star review and it was something that was either A, legitimate or B, not legitimate, (laughs) I still took it as an opportunity to improve my shop, whether that be, for example, I don't make the backs to my earrings. I purchased those and I found a great wholesaler. I started buying them and I got a one-star review saying that the backs were loose and the earring fell out. And I was like, okay. So I messaged her, send her some different backs and, you know, that was fine. And then I got another message about the backs and I said, wow, okay, well, maybe I need to change my supplier. This isn't working. And then, you know, another time where I got a one-star review over something silly, because as we all know, as Etsy sellers, people don't read ever. (laughs) So I, instead of getting upset, took it as the opportunity to improve my shop, make things more clearly stated, put it in more places that people can read. So I don't think one, we need to be afraid of the one-star review. I think we need to view it as an opportunity to grow, learn, and improve. And then two, you know, always give a buyer the benefit of the doubt and respond kindly you know, in my process of learning and reading, I joined quite a few groups on either Facebook or where not about Etsy. And I actually ended up leaving quite a few of them because I was just incredibly appalled 
by some of the responses that these sellers were giving. And unfortunately, when you sell on Etsy, not everybody views you as your own entity. They associate you with Etsy. I can't tell you how many times when talking with people in person, when I start talking that I sell on Etsy, they say, oh, well, I had a bad experience or, oh, I was scammed or, oh, I'm never shopping on Etsy again. And it's really unfortunate because those are my buyers too. Hey guys, I just want to jump on here really quick and tell you that I have a checklist that is all about SEO. If SEO is something that you are struggling with, like so many Etsy sellers, hop on over to laurenkeplinger.com forward slash checklist and download that Etsy SEO checklist. All right, back to the episode. I think it's very important, you know, just not only as a business owner and to be successful, but in a whole, just to have good customer service. I know personally, also teaching people secularly in my job, how to deal with people. One of the biggest things is people just want to be heard. They just want to be simply acknowledged of their complaint. Again, whether it's valid or it's not. And trying to offer to help them does not mean that you're going to bend on your policies. It does not mean that you're going to be walked over. It's simply just showing empathy and tact and trying to be just helpful overall. I'll give you a quick experience that actually just happened two days ago. (laughs) I had a horrible day at work. I had dealt with really sassy people that day. I was in no mood driving home and I get an email and it simply just stated issue with address. I moved. Here's my new address. That's all it said. And I'm like, okay, your item was literally delivered like four days ago. What am I supposed to do about it? <laughs> like, It's not my fault that it was delivered to the wrong address, but I let it sit. I went home, I had dinner and I just simply responded professionally. Um, I don't think people understand that you can sound very accusing over text I could have replied, well, you didn't fix your order. When you placed your order, it was shipped to the wrong address because you didn't correct it. As a rule of thumb, I try to always leave the personalization out when stating the facts. So I just responded simply by saying, well, it looks like the order was placed on this date. It was shipped on this date. According to the tracking information, it was delivered at the address associated with the account at the time of purchase. Nowhere did I mention the buyer at all, just stating simply the facts. And then I thought, okay, well, how can I be helpful? It really is kind of out of my control at this point. I don't want to send another item. I don't want to refund him, but let's be helpful. So I said, you know, if you formally changed your address with the post office, I recommend taking the tracking number and seeing if they forwarded your package. Or I noticed the addresses were in the same town. I said, do you think you can get in touch with the current residents and try to recover the package? And I just let it go. He responded to me today. Uh, We'll say his name is George. And George proceeded to tell me that he's in his late 60s, almost 70. He's having trouble navigating the internet He thanked me for my help and stated he was able to get the package from the current resident and that it was a gift for his granddaughter and his granddaughter loved Etsy. And it just melted my heart because I'm like, here's this grandfather trying to buy something off of probably a platform he's never heard of 
for his granddaughter. And we ended up just kind of chit-chatting back and forth. And George and I are buddies now. And if I ever end up in Utah, we're going to go have beer. (laughs) But I could have very simply said, not my problem, not my fault, figure it out. But the fact that, you know, I just took, literally, I was sitting on my couch, drinking a glass of wine, watching TV when I emailed him, took no extra effort of my time to reply kindly. And just the interaction that blossomed from it just makes me really excited about, you know, my brand and how I stand behind, you know, my business. And now is this seven-year-old going to go leave me a five-star review? Probably not. The poor thing couldn't even figure out his address, but at the same time, you know, he might recommend it to somebody or he might say, oh yes, this really nice, you know, it just, it's going to plant that seed to grow into something in the future. Yeah. I think that that's huge. And I think that it's really something that's lost on the internet a lot, (laughs) particularly like in the, well, I don't know, the internet's been kind of mean for a while, but I definitely (laughs) think that like in the last, you know, 18 months or so, it's really up to the ante of people feeling like they are allowed to just say whatever they want to say to whoever online. And I think that it, it, is a really a good lesson to remember like that, you know, because you could have gone into that conversation being like, this is some 30 year old that's trying to scam me out of these things. They're trying to get a refund. And like, I know that and to be me. completely honest, that was where my mind went because of the day I had, I was like, I'm instantly, I'm like, I'm not giving his money back. Right. You're trying to rip <laughs> he, didn't off. Ask, he didn't even ask for his money back. <laughs> right. But it's so easy to just assume that with somebody. And then, you know, you learn a little bit about them And then you're like, oh, okay, sorry. This was just somebody that like didn't really understand what they were doing. And I had a similar experience, although it wasn't quite that sweet, but (laughs) (laughs) recently where I had a buyer that had bought some quilts and she was like kind of a high maintenance buyer anyway. She had emailed me way more than necessary (laughs) for like a pretty simple order. And so I was already kind of like rolling my eyes every time an email came in from her because I'm like, lady, can I just get these done so that I can be done with this interaction? Well, of course, those are the ones that like got delayed in the mail because that's just how that's going to (laughs) work. Absolutely. And so she emails me like, I still haven't gotten these. Where are they? Blah, blah, blah. And like my first reaction is like, I already sent you the tracking number. Like, what the heck do you want me to do about it? But what I did was go on the USPS website and like sign up for their little text messages, which really doesn't do anything. Right. Let me know when it's been delivered. But then I was able to go back to her and say like, here's the tracking information. What it says on there is that it looks like the order is still in transit, but it's running behind. Here was the last scan on it. I've signed up for these alerts. So hopefully that will like get the package moving and I should know when it's arriving and I'll let you know if I hear anything. And she was like, thank you so much. And then I got a text the day it actually was delivered. And so I emailed her again and was like, Hey, I just got a text that it was delivered. Um, I hope that that's true and everything (laughs) turned up. Okay. And I'm sorry that there was a delay in transit because I know that that's frustrating. And she like gushed about how much she loved them. And so, you know, it was like, do I like internally roll my eyes a little bit? Because obviously 
she could check the tracking number right. just the same yeah. as I can. Yeah. <laughs> and she could see that it said that it was delayed in transit. But, you know, I mean, I don't know anything about this person. I don't know what her story is. And it took me like two seconds and one text message, you know? So yeah. it's really not that big of a deal for me to just provide that versus being like, here's the tracking leave me alone. (laughs) Right, exactly. And it's that little touch or that little helpfulness that really does go a long way. And then also brings back repeat buyers, which is the bulk of a lot of e-commerce, you know, revenue is repeat customers. Yeah. And that's huge. And I think that that's something that's really underappreciated by people, especially starting out. When you go back and look at, like when I go back and look at my own shop, I would say probably between 30 and 40% of my buyers are repeat buyers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's huge for business because what that means is like, you're not competing against anyone anymore. They're just coming straight to you and buying what they want. Exactly. So, you know, it takes away that idea of like, well, but my, you know, other products are right next to mine and whatever. It doesn't even matter anymore. They're not looking. They're just looking at your stuff. Exactly. And I think you touched on a huge point is, you know, when you have that buyer confidence, you know, people buy it from Amazon for that confidence. They know no matter what, I'm going to be happy with this purchase, whether I buy it and I don't like it, I know I can return it. Or if it's broken, Amazon's going to replace it. There's just that level of confidence there and ease. And when you get that customer in and they know, I know this buyer, I know they are going to, you know, make me happy. And it's just easy for me to now purchase these products from them. Like you said, it doesn't matter if, you know, when they're on Etsy, a similar product pops up for half the price, because they're going to go with the trust and confidence versus shopping around. Absolutely. And I also think you made a really strong point about the fact that like having good customer service doesn't mean that you don't have any boundaries. Right. Like just because you provide good customer service doesn't mean that I actually think I might do a whole podcast episode about this. <laughs> because I think this is something that's like really misunderstood. There is an idea with certain buyers, like there are people out there who are just like not nice to deal with. Mm-hmm. And there are times that I have felt with uh, customers that they feel like because they gave me their 40 bucks for a baby quilt, all of a sudden I'm like completely at their beck and call and I like owe them for the rest of my life. (laughs) And, you know, so, but I think that there is a way to provide quality customer service without just caving to every single thing. Like I very rarely give refunds to people because everything I do is personalized, but I, consistently get good feedback about my customer service. And a lot of times I'm able, even if there is something that like went not so great to turn it around by just providing that like personal touch. Exactly. Yes. And that's when too, you know, having your policy set up is so important because you can refer to them and you don't have to, but at the same time, understanding that you're not going to have your policy set for every single event or thing that might happen. And you just, it's an evolving process. I mean, even now, 
you know, a buyer had commented about something and I was like, well, my policy state. And then I'm like, oh, I had to eat my words because it was not in my policy. So after that, I quickly updated it. And like I said, it, it was okay. I survived. It wasn't a big deal. I learned, I grew and I improved. And and I agree. I very rarely give refunds. I do accept returns because my items are not personalized, but at the same time, they have to return it within a certain time. It has to be within a certain condition. I had somebody return some earrings and they just threw them like in an envelope. They came to me completely crumbled and broken. And I just messaged her. I was like, Hey, listen, like, I'm sorry, but the item did not make it back to me in its original condition. You know, I did refund her partially because I was okay with just making zero profit off that transaction, but I did not lose any money on that transaction. So I still gave her, you know, what she wanted by refunding some money. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not going to take the loss on this. Right. Um, And everybody was fine. She was understanding. I didn't lose money and it wasn't a big deal. Yeah. And I think what you said earlier is also really important. People are like terrified of a one-star review. And I mean, not that I would say like, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Because like, right. obviously nobody wants one-star review. I actually got two one-star reviews this week for people who meant to give good reviews. <laughs> oh my goodness. I saw that and I just cringed because yeah. I was like, oh, why do they say they love it? But then give one star. And it's like still showing up like right at the top. And I'm like, killing me. But I, at this point, don't even care because it doesn't really matter if they change it anyway. Like in the Etsy system, it's still going to log it as a one-star review. So it's like kind of a wash. But anyway, yeah. (laughs) But I think that people like live in fear of a one-star review. And while I think that you should not get a one-star review for terrible service. Like there should be, you know, you should set a goal for yourself for it to be something that like was out of your control or something that you just hadn't learned yet. And I have also had the same experience as you where I got some bad feedback earlier on in my shop that was really, really helpful to me. And even though, I mean, obviously it doesn't feel good to you. And especially in those early days, I think it's really disheartening to get bad feedback because you feel like, well, I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing anyway. So somebody was calling me out on what I already felt about my business, yeah. <laughs> which is really hard to hear because it just makes you like more insecure about your product. But I was able to move forward from that and improve the product. And I I really think that if you haven't gotten a bad feedback or a bad review or somebody just that just hates everything that you do yet, you just haven't been in business long enough. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't please everybody. Absolutely. And like Absolutely you said. Absolutely cannot. There is nobody that is going to please everybody and especially not on the internet. So if you haven't had it yet, it's coming and you'll survive. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And just focus on, you know, continuing to prove all the other five-star reviews, you know, and that's the one thing that I do pride myself on. I have a pretty good return on reviews and people that specifically mention the customer service or their dealings with me personally, which, you know, again, is going to set my product apart from others and not living in that fear of that one-star review to where you feel like you have to crumble and cave to every buyer's whim because you also cannot be successful by giving in all the time either. Right. Yeah. 
I agree. So you joined Scale Your Sales fairly recently. And so I, I kind of want to hear about like, what are your goals? What, what kind of brought you into that program? And like, where are you hoping to go with it and, and to grow within the program? Yeah, so I am notoriously stubborn and independent, as my husband would probably agree with. (laughs) And I am a like, do it myself, learn it myself kind of person. But I feel like at this point, I had kind of exhausted all of my resources. I binged and read everything I could. And in doing so too, side note, you know, you also start to come across what's good information and what's not. There's a lot of not very good information out there on the internet. Uh, Surprise. But, you know, at this point, I held off on doing the program because I was seeing so much success myself. And I was in the thinking of, well, when I stall out, maybe that's when, you know, I'll try to make it better. But then I really quickly thought, you know, like we had mentioned before, I'd struggled by myself for years to figure it out myself. At this point, you know, I don't have to do that. (laughs) And I had already learned so much, you know, from all of the resources that you give, which truly is impressive. I mean, you really give a lot of great resources for free. To where at that point, I was like, you know what, it's nothing but beneficial for me to learn even more. SEO, I've worked hard on, I've seen the improvement from it, but there is still a lot that I feel like I can improve on, especially when it comes to holidays. That's the biggest thing where I'm like, you know, trying to find my my customer and who I'm appealing to all the time versus holiday time. And then also now that I can get that part of my business set, the SEO and have everything great. Now, how do I propel my success even further by delving into marketing and ads and Pinterest? And instead of spending another year or two trying to stumble my way through it, I figured an investment in someone who's already proven to be successful, who has the resources that have already proven successful for me, it was a no-brainer to jump on board. That's the great thing about the Scales Your Sale program is that it's accessible at your own pace. Right now, I am on track to hit my goal for this year, which is to bring in a sales amount more than I make at my secular job. And so next year, I really hope to focus more on Pinterest marketing to start kind of dabbling into some ads and really hit that six-figure sales point and just full-blown make this a business. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Lindsay, I think that you are poised and ready to do it. And I can't wait to watch it unfold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate it. And like I said, you know, thank you so much to you and, you know, your story and your inspiration. And if anything, I hope that, you know, new Etsy shops will continue to, you know, turn to you and hear other successful stories and, you know, selfishly for myself, continue to help with the success of Etsy and keep this platform going for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story and having this conversation with me. If people want to look you up and check you out, where can they do that? Yeah. So obviously my Etsy is the Dandelion Bay. I am 
currently a little bit active on Instagram and Facebook. I plan on getting more so, but you can also find me at the Dandelion Bay on Instagram and Facebook. All right. Check her out. So thank you again for coming and for doing this with me. Thank you. I will see you next week back here on the podcast. Same time, same place. Bye for now. Thank you.